today. I'm Andy Brownell in News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. And I'm super pleased to be joined today by the superintendent of Rochester Public Schools, Kent Pickell. Good morning, Kent. Morning. It's good to be back. Yeah, we haven't had a chance to talk for quite a while because of scheduling conflicts. So it's uh, great to be able to make the connection and get caught up. It is great. I always look forward to it. And when, when I'm around town, I always meet people who heard something that we talked about. And so that's uh, that's further evidence that this is a, a really great opportunity for me to talk about stuff at greater length than I usually get to. So I'm really grateful Fantastic. for that. Well, I certainly enjoy it myself. And I'm glad the listeners do that those who have spoken with you uh, have expressed that. Well, I guess yeah, I hate to bring this topic up, but I guess I have to bring it up. But I do remember, I think it was the first time I met you that when you were hired as interim superintendent, it was the middle of summer. And I said, well, enjoy it until you have to make <laughs> your first decision on whether to close the schools for a snow day. And I know you've done it multiple times since then, but uh, maybe to start with, can't explain the process. H how do you reach your decision? What goes into all that? Well, you know, explaining the process actually is probably a, it's a great place to start because what's happened over the last week, I mean, you and I are sitting here um, on Friday, Thursday, the 22nd, which is another snow day. I'm not sure when this will air. I think often it's a couple of days uh, after we do it or on a Monday. It'll, or be, it'll be tomorrow. Okay, good. So anyway, it's it's a snow day when we normally would have been in session. And then last week we had two days that could have been snow days that I did not declare as a snow day. But the week before we had a Friday that I did declare as a snow day. And so one of the things that happened last week after we did not de declare a snow day is I got lots of feisty uh, emails and phone calls and our receptionists and our transportation department did. So I actually just sent out an email to student staff families and uh, also put it on social media explaining the process. And I have to say, I got a ton of positive feedback for explaining the process. And it just as goes to show you, you, you know, people understand tough decisions if you take time to explain it. So in brief, 4.30 a.m., our transportation coordinator, Jeff Cappers, who is a treasure in Rochester, uh, gives me a call and he's been following multiple weather, weather services, um, but our go-to is the National Weather Service uh, Regional Center based in La Crosse. And Jeff always makes sure he has a person-to-person -person call with the person uh, on staff at that time. So we're not just you know looking at uh, people's posts on their websites. Then Jeff and I talk, uh, can we safely run school? And there's three criteria. The first uh, is road conditions in terms of uh, are they slick, are they hazardous? Second is visibility. Um, and then the third, which is related to the first two, is it may be fine now, but what's the rest of the day going to look like? So we take a look at that. We often talk to other people. We sometimes have maintenance staff go out and actually drive around. If it's questionable, I did that one time uh, two weeks ago. And then we make the call. And then Mom Sue Knutson, our communications director, has all of the um, notification queued up. And we really try and have this done uh, as close to 5 a.m. as we can. Sometimes when there's a judgment call, it, it pushes back a little bit beyond that. Um, and then you wait and you see. Um, and of course, uh, last week, what got the feisty phone calls and emails was by 5 a.m., it was the prediction was for one more inch of snow and the roads weren't bad. It, it had only been three, four inches up to that point. So we had school, but then we got 
another three to four inches and it was really tough. And uh, that was one of those where you just don't know what's gonna happen. And we still aren't sure what's gonna happen later today, but as we sit here on Thursday, thus far, the snowmageddon that was predicted has not yet materialized, though it's bitterly cold and the winds are picking up. So I still think canceling today was probably a good call, but right now we, we could be having school. So it's always a judgment call. It, it puts you in a position where if you make the call, and then it doesn't appear you're rooting for the big storm storm to materialize at some point while the rest of us are going oh this is great the snow yep. the big storm didn't come yep yeah, <laughs> i actually did i went out of the edison building which is our our headquarters yesterday and just did like a little uh social media post where i was like okay i know there's almost 18,000 students out there bitterly disappointed that they're not going to school tomorrow and there's no snow and they could have been there to you know study shakespeare <laughs> and geometry and things like that and i got a lot of like you know positive responses and things like that so it was well, good I I know we're laughing about it now, but you do. I, this is a decision you have to take seriously because of all, I mean, the safety issues, obviously, but it, it's a disruption for the families, too. It's a huge issue. The safety issues are obviously number one, but number two um, is the educational impact. I mean, the reality of it is every single day we have the opportunity and the privilege to educate, educate kids is precious. And it's precious just because of the good teaching that happens in our schools and learning, but also if we communicate to kids that school is not a serious enterprise, that we actually just cancel whenever there's the slightest reason to cancel, we sort of subconsciously undermine the importance of school. But then number three, we do have literally thousands of families in Rochester whose jobs cannot be done from home, who do not have vacation, who do not have unpaid leave. You know, they work in a lot of jobs that all of us depend upon. And I've had the calls and emails from those parents when we declare a snow day uh, or don't have school and don't, and don't give them much time to plan. And they don't know what to do. I mean, they are in really, really tough spots. Um, and then compounding that for another subset of our students, the breakfast and lunch that we serve them is a major support for their families. So there's all those things that go into the calculus as I'm you know, trying to make that decision. Um, and it is helpful when some families for whom a snow day is not a big deal, I think are reminded that not everybody's in their situation. Sure, but it's important to have that other perspective. I do remember during my days in school a million years ago that the superintendent then was Harry Vakos. And if we went to school when we got pounded with snow, which inevitably happened because they were, um, they didn't cancel school as often as they do now, but I think it was uh, a different world then too. But I also remember at that time, there were days where the kids who lived within the city went to school and those that lived outside of the city did not have class. Yeah, that's interesting. And, uh, but we used to joke that Superintendent mm -hmm. Vacos must be in Florida today on one of his vacations. Because <laughs> you know, it's funny, um, uh, Jerry Williams, who was superintendent here a few superintendents ago, who's really been a, a mentor for me. I met him when I was a young administrator working in St. Paul schools. And as I think I told you, absolutely out of the blue, 20 years ago, Jerry said to me, do you ever think of being superintendent in Rochester? I mean, it's crazy. But Jerry's still here, he's in town. And um, when I made the call uh, to cancel school, for today, uh, Jackie Peterson, who's now our 
chief of schools, but who was a young teacher and administrator when Jerry was superintendent. We were talking about, you know, changes over the years. And I was thinking, okay, this is a good decision. We should cancel school. And Jackie said, yeah, you know, Jerry never would have canceled school. Today. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you're making me feel soft. Like Jerry uh, Williams would have had those kids going, a- going to school. And I here I am like, uh, oh, there might be snow canceled. But, you know, at times change. Also, our transportation system is very different. We we are um, we are a big school district geographically, and we have got both very urban routes, and we do have a handful that are truly rural. And so we, and it's all one system. Like it's it's interesting that you said that there was a day when you had some different decisions for kids outside town and in town. That would be really hard for us to do, if not impossible, today because the system is so interconnected. Um, so it's kind of all or nothing for us in Rochester right now. So sometimes when you look at, you know, right in the middle of town, the streets um, and how they are looking, we have to think also about, you know, and now getting kids out to, you know, Dakota, our new middle school. And that was a hard one this week. We learned the hard way that there's a big hill going up. Yes, sir. And we need extra support. So the first night uh, we had some people getting stuck and the staff was amazing. We had teachers out there pushing uh, things up. By the next the next day, we had uh, crews out there all night sanding it and um, getting it ready. And the next day it was okay. And candidly, that's one of those ones where you just have to say, I know, you know, we're a fairly big system. We got a lot of people who are really, uh, really good at their jobs. And sometimes when you have a brand new school on the top of a hill where you've never had a snow day before, you just learn something and you say, oh, maybe we should have seen that coming. But <laughs> then you say, lesson learned. Well, you're going to see some winds out there on that hill today. I can yeah, tell you that that's much. What, but. That's, what, that's, that's part of the reason why we're closed. Um, even though the snow wasn't that bad, I think the prediction is for something that may, may, may look like a whiteout at, time, at points this afternoon. Yep. Well, it's you know for the superintendent of any school, it's a lose-lose situation. You're <laughs> never, you're never ever going to be right on this one. It is true, <laughs> but it goes with the territory. The vast majority of people are understanding. I will just say, and I put this at the end of the note that I sent out about snow days. I, I do think, and I don't want to be like too nostalgic for the good old days, but I think in the snow day decision here in Rochester, we have seen some of the the real. Uh, venomous, um, personally attacking kind of language that we've seen in society in general. And you know, I got it personally um, via email and via some phone calls, including from some students who then I'll just tell you, we've had our principals have some conversations with and I've responded say, hey, I like that you're raising your voice. There's some ways you, you can do it. But I'll be honest, when I sit, we have our receptionist who sits right, out, right outside my office. And the way some folks called and talked to her, uh, who happens to be a Rochester Public Schools parent of young kids who herself had to, you know, get get her kids taken care of and come in. Th- that's where you just say, um, that's unacceptable. And I, I told her, I said, uh, when that happens, you can say calmly, I'm going to end this call if you continue to use that kind of language or express yourself in that way. Um, and she did a couple of times and so did staff in our transportation department. And these people didn't have anything to do with the decision. You know, they they didn't and that that is, and I don't wanna overstate that the vast majority of people were under, understanding, but there is a sort of go from zero to 60 um, with no filter. That's just, I think a lot of us are seeing it in our society in general. 
we definitely saw it the last two weeks in Rochester regarding snow days in the middle of winter in Minnesota. I mean, it's kind of hard to see this well, as you're evil and stupid because you didn't quite get the weather prediction right. But we, 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 we did hear that kind of language. Oh, my gosh. Well, because snow days in Minnesota are inevitable. Exactly. I don't, know, I don't think there's been a single year. And honest to goodness, I don't think there's been a, sing, a single year where the wrong call hasn't been made in one way or another. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. We got that out of the way. We have to take a break. And we'll be back with more of Kent Pickell, Superintendent of the Rochester Public Schools, on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Hi. News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. And Kent Pickell, Rochester Public Schools Superintendent. I was saying during the break, it's been so long since we've had a talk, chance to talk that uh, I'm going to rewind all the way back to um, the Minnesota Comprehensive Assessment Scores, the MCAs, which are just one of the many measures that I know the school district uses and the state uses. Um, they were less than stellar, let's put it that way, this year. Were you at all? surprised with the findings or was it what you anticipated? Um, I was not. Um, candidly, I see the scores you're talking about, which were from kids taking the test last spring, and then you get the results months later in August. I see them candidly as baseline for my time in Rochester. I see them as the starting point. I know I'd been here for uh, you know most of a school year, but the vast majority of that was as interim. You don't put in place when you're interim the kind of changes that are required to really like improve student outcomes. Um, so that's just sort of, you know, one point we had not put in place some of the strategies we're now putting in place that I think over time will make a difference. But the other thing is the MCAs as they're called, our state tests um, are a test that is designed to measure the system as a whole tied to a particular definition of what is proficient. And I've sat on these standard setting committees. I'm a little unusual, as you know, for a superintendent that I'm coming from 15 years in the research world and I've done a lot of this measurement work. It is not a, a, a very high quality test. It's an okay test with a fairly arbitrary definition of proficiency. And there are some technical things about the test that make it highly problematic. There's not what's called a vertical scale, which means you can track a kid's progress in reading or math uh, very carefully from grade to grade and measure what we call growth. Every year it's did the kid jump over the fence, which is the mark that you set. Now I'm actually not anti-testing. We are adopting district-wide a, a new test called the FastBridge test um, that we're, we're using extensively. And the reason it's different from the MCAs is number one, it's good for measuring growth. Not did, did the kid just get over the bar, but from where they started, did they make a lot of progress? You can have a kid not get over the bar, but make a ton of progress. And when you only look at proficiency on the MCAs, it misses that. The other thing about FastBridge is it's very useful for teachers. It's instructionally useful. You get the results immediately and you can tie it to strategies in both reading and math. With the MCAs, you give it in the spring and the school district doesn't even get the scores until those kids are out of your class and are on to another class um, when we get them in August and then they get announced around the state fair time. And so our state tests, I think, in Minnesota and our whole approach to testing needs some pretty radical rethinking. That is partly constrained by federal requirements. The feds require us to have a test like that. They require us to do it the way they require us to do it. Um, 
But this is something that, you know, right now I've got my full focus and my time is all spent on Rochester and what we're doing here. Over time, I would like to see Rochester Public Schools be able to be a leader in uh, encouraging our state to take a more useful approach to testing and improvement. Because right now, basically, if if you talk about the MCAs, it's really did the patient live or die? It tells you kind of that. It doesn't help you do the cure. Um, and it's usually way too late uh, when you get that data to do anything. But I also, you're right, our, our outcomes were not sufficient. One of the other things that I should just add is that the state allows parents to opt their kids out of the MCAs. Actually, we would allow them to opt out their kid out of any test, but the FastBridge, we have very few parents ask for that. It's a super useful test for teachers, and we're gonna also start sharing that data with parents so they know where their kids are. We had, at the high school level, a lot of kids opt out of the MCAs with parental approval. And what that does is it means when we look at those scores, we have to say there's really good reason to believe this is not reflective of how Rochester kids uh, are doing on the whole, because you had majorities of the kids in some schools uh, opting out, not so much elementary. Um, But that's something that is a growing trend. And we haven't really found a way as a state to deal with it because the, st- the scores still get reported as though you know the vast majority of the kids at Mayo or Century or John Marshall took the test and that's that's increasingly not the case. Do you Plus, have any? Some of the I'm middle sorry. school too. Some of the middle school too. It's, a, it's particularly a high school phenomenon, uh, not just in Rochester, but everywhere. Do you have any insight in as to why there, this is a growing trend? You know, it's. I think there's two broad things. One, taking tests is not fun, uh, generally, for most people. And so, you know, the kid's probably not like, oh, please let me take the MCA. But second, there is among some, I think, the sense that um, it, 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 it's, a, it's a judgment of how the kid is doing educationally that can have a, a negative stigma or consequence. Um, and, and I think part of that is not surprising when you think that for 20 years, we ranked schools and in some states, even individual teachers on those tests. So we really attached a very negative stigma. You know, if you weren't hitting me, this was most under the federal no child left behind law, but in some states, I mean, still like you still get ranked A to F in Florida based on your state test scores in a school. So when you attach that kind of a negative consequence, it influences the way principals and teachers and others talk about the tests. And, you know, I like to talk about data as a flashlight, not a sledgehammer. Like it helps us find where these kids are um, because we do have students who need dramatic acceleration in both reading and math. And the test can be a very, very useful tool to identify those students. But if the kids aren't taking the test because they're opting out, then you're you're missing a tool in the toolkit. Yeah, that makes sense. And I obviously there was a big drop that can be attributed to the pandemic, but And I know this predates you being the superintendent at all, but do you have any, I guess, opinion or insight as as to why this, it's been trending lower now for almost 10 years, the score. Um, You know, you and I've talked about this before, as somebody who I think is still fairly new and and we're just putting in place the strategy going forward. I I don't spend a lot of time talking about um, periods when I wasn't, here. But I do think I can say that we have 
some major gaps in curriculum that we are working very hard to identify and address. That's not a quick fix. But essentially, are we teaching kids the right content at the right times? That's number one. Number two, we have some real gaps in what we might call interventions for kids who are struggling. Structures and strategies, whether it's you know small group tutoring for a kid who is behind or I hear a lot in Rochester about, uh, we used to have programs that were like school within a school. Most of those don't exist. Um, sometimes it's not academic. Sometimes it's mentoring. You know, it's a sort of it's a social emotional connection. But I think we do have a gap where where mostly when a kid is struggling right now, and this is changing for sure, and it's really going to change going forward. It's the job of that classroom teacher to address the needs of all of the kids who are struggling in their class. Full stop. And when you have a huge array of uh, academic needs in your class, that's not a very realistic strategy when you have some kids who are really struggling. So the lack of what we might call multi-tiers multi of support, you know, where you, you can identify those kids. So that's the second thing. We're actually doing a uh, complete audit with the University of Minnesota of our system in that regard right now. Um, it's called MTSS, multi-tiered systems of support, and the university is examining what we currently have and what we need. I will just tell you, we know from a lot of places that if you don't have those academic tiers of support, what can happen is kids who just are behind academically get identified as having disabilities and then get placed in special education, which is actually not educationally what they need. And it's really expensive. And so this has got financial implications for us as well. So I think that the point of, uh, so the first would probably be curriculum, the second would be tiers of support. And then third, I, I have to be honest, I've, I've, I've heard that there was prior to my being here, uh, a fairly frequent message that tests don't matter. Tests don't measure anything. And my, my response is actually tests, that's true. They don't measure everything, but that doesn't mean they measure nothing. Um, and tests are especially accurate at both ends of the scale. If a kid is doing really well, whether it's the MCA test, the FastBridge test, the ACT, kids doing really well, we know from a lot of research and data that the, the chances are they're gonna do well in other areas going forward. And the converse is true too. If a kid is scoring at level one, which is the lowest level of the MCAs, um, they are gonna be the kind of kid who's gonna struggle to make change for you in you know, uh, a store uh, in some cases. And so we also know that those kids need interventions and support. What happened in the US for 20 years that was really crazy is we treated tests as though for all the kids in the middle, you could stick a single percentage point and call it proficient and everybody below that was in trouble and everybody above that was fine. And that was ludicrous because the reality is it's a slope. Some of those kids below proficient are gonna go on and do great. Cause I mean, when was the last time you took a standardized test? It's been a long time since I've done it. It's not in the workplace. And then, you know, some of the kids above it are gonna have some struggles, but on, on the extremes, tests tell us a lot. And so we need to use them as a tool, but not overemphasize them. Very good. We have to take our break already. The hour is zipping by with the superintendent this morning, Kent Pickell. I'm Andy Brownell. We'll be back in a moment on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. My friend and I are taking a trip to Mexico this year. Today, I'm Andy Brownell, News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM with the superintendent of Rochester Public Schools, Kent Pickell. And Kent, I know 
when you were interim superintendent, the discipline issue was front and center, headline news, and some changes were made. Uh, and when you started out this school year, I know you made an emphasis on every staff member, beyond just the teachers within schools, making connections with individual children, individual students. How is that going? Is it, do you think it's having an impact? And it, we know it has had an impact. Um, now, I wish I had looked up the December data, but then again, we're not quite done with December. So for the first, actually, and the November data, for the first two months of the year, uh, September and October, our disciplinary referrals district-wide were down 28% over the previous year. And for certain schools, like Willow Creek, where we really intensively engaged and put in place an entirely new leadership team over the summer and did other things, they were down 63%. Um, and so this is something we can address, and we're trying to come at it with a two-pronged strategy, um, not just behavior, but also belonging, which is the connection piece. Because when you have a connection with a kid, you can, I mean, any of us who've been teachers, administrators, to some extent, even parents, when you have that connection, you can deal with something with a look or a comment that, that absent that relationship can escalate. But the relationship piece isn't sufficient. We do need consequences. And so we have really clarified that there is accountability for appropriate behavior in Rochester Public Schools. And we do suspend kids after we have taken steps to um, address them without suspension, because suspension is a failure on the part of the system. We're removing the kid from learning. But when we refuse to do that, we impact the learning of all the kids that that disruption is affecting. And so we've made sure that there is, that the first steps are, are dialogue with the kid, hoping to help them see what, you know, has, uh, not gone well, then dialogue with the, the parent or caregiver. Um, but then ultimately, you know, that is a that is a tool that we've utilized. We are working extremely hard to be sure that we are not applying disciplinary consequences any differently along lines of race or gender or special education status or language origin, just based on lines of difference. Because we know all of us have some form of bias. We may sort of think we don't, but subconsciously we do. And when you're going to hold kids accountable, we have to make sure we're holding them accountable in the same ways for the same behaviors. So that's a second piece that we've been doing. But we're trying, we, I try every time never to just say behavior. It's always belonging. But I also never just say belonging. It's also, you know, behavior. So that we're kind of coming at it. And I think that's why we're starting to make some progress. The other thing, too, was we... We, we brought, as soon as school was over last year, we brought teams from all of our secondary schools, all of our middle and high schools together for a belonging and behavior summit. And we said, look, we've learned the hard way. Times are not normal. Some, some things we expect kids to walk into our schools understanding, uh, we can't rely upon. And so for whatever reason, I mean, the pandemic is potentially one obvious reason for it, but we have to actually proactively articulate some expectations and some caring and emotion that we might have historically assumed we could take for granted. And we went into this school year saying, take nothing for granted. Like we have to think about welcoming these kids into our schools in ways that help them learn to sort of do school um, uh, again. Um, I'm hoping, and I think there's some reason to believe that that will diminish uh, in the years ahead as we have school not, you know, essentially interrupted for more than a year. But it's been a big 
it's been a big challenge, not just in Rochester, of course. Oh, and, and earlier you brought up the uh, pushback, which was uncivil mm-hmm. towards canceling school. And on social media, as an observer, a lot of times that's become the norm. Yep. And these kids are accessing the social media and I'm not the first one to express this concern that they're seeing a skewed view of reality and when they view it through that lens of social media and I wonder do they see that at the school level that yes incivility but again it's so important Andy to say we're talking about a very small subset of Rochester kids It, it is very meaningful but I don't want your listeners out there to think we're talking about the norm. Um, but it's but but it, it's enough that it's not just you know incidental. And so yes, we are seeing that we're seeing um, a defiance of adult authority and direction again, not just in Rochester, that is very different from historical patterns. And I think we need to continually look for new solutions to that. The the tools that worked for Educators, when a lot of us were in school, don't work with all the students that we're trying to reach today. Things like, you know, suspension and detention and stuff like that. So we're 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 still using those tools, but we are going to be thinking very creatively going forward about some different solutions. They've, at Kellogg Middle School, they've got a, a, a cool program that I want to up, uplift. It's called the CARES program, and and when a kid has had a disciplinary incident. So maybe they got in a fight or something and they got suspended or whatever. When they come back there for two full days in um, a separate room with a full-time education support professional, both monitoring and, and connecting with them. And then over the course of those two days, they have specialists who come in, counselor, social worker, and really help that student understand what was problematic about the behavior, think about why they did what they did, and then most importantly, how am I gonna actually um, not repeat that behavior? Like, and it seems like a, and it is a pretty intensive allocation of resources, but at Kellogg at least, they have seen very few of the kids who've been in the CARES program this year re-offend to do something, like under five of all the kids. So it's an intensive intervention, and the purpose is to help that student essentially make meaning of what happened to them and think about how they, for instance, control that impulse or how they actually, um, you know, uh, self-regulate when, you know, there's a, a tension coming up. And frankly, how they understand oh, that consequence that you experienced, is, is you're going to experience again if we don't shift it. And so I'm, that's the kind of solution that I think we're going to need to think more and more about and one of the things I want us to get better and better at at the at the central office level is finding things like what Kellogg is doing with the cares program in one school and then spreading it out across our schools we we haven't done nearly as much of that um, as you might think because it's not as simple as just saying hey you should do what they did over there I mean it's been a heavy lift to design that program and then we need to kind of help package it so that then like John Adams and um, you know Dakota and others could look at maybe adapting something like that for their system. That's a big priority for us at the central office level going going, going forward to sort of help identify what's working here and then find ways to help people over there adapt it for their context. What I like about that too is, I mean, you're actually dealing with a relatively small number of individuals that you have to run through a program like that. 
in school after school, and this is so like like inexact and yet consistent. Uh, I hear school after school people talk about about twenty five kids, you know, and and of course. When we look at the disciplinary referrals, that is actually about correct when we look at people who have three or more offensive offenses. I mean, the vast majority of kids have one offense. The subset, uh, far fewer have two, but it is like at that level where you're seeing three or more. And just to call the question, because I know um, like the, there was a point a few months ago where the editorial board at the Post Bulletin who have been incredibly supportive of our work and who are super thoughtful people and the editor and I have had a discussion about this. Actually, I met with the whole editorial board. They had a line to say, there are plenty of alternative places to send those kids in Rochester, so just get them out. And the fact of the matter is there aren't just places to send them. We know, frankly, from a lot of research, but also just common sense, when you create dumping grounds, like those become, they're not, it is our responsibility to serve those kids. They're wonderful kids. Um, the dumping ground factor not only doesn't work, but it's, uh, it's unethical. And it doesn't exist. Like we we don't we don't have it, and I don't want to build it. So we need to find ways to serve those students in our schools while still having consequences for behavior that doesn't work. Um, we have a wonderful alternative learning center at the high school level in Rochester, which is m more about the learning needs and the academic needs than it is behavior. But it's also a very different culture and structure. We don't have that at the middle school level. So our strategic plan, uh, and we have a working group right now working on creating an alternative learning center or school for middle school kids. We lack that right now um, because some, for some kids, the traditional structure and the larger size just doesn't work. So that's an instance of where we are. We, we I mean, there's a huge waiting list to get into our high school area learning center, um, which is a tribute to that staff. In a lot of places, that's not the case. And so we do need to fill that gap at the middle school level. And that's something we're working on pretty hard this year. All right. I do need to take another break already. All right. <laughs> Kent McKell, the Rochester Public School Superintendent with us this morning on Rochester Today. News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. This is the Family Service Rochester Public Schools, Kent McKell. Um, you and I have talked about this before in this program. You've brought it up. Um, Longfellow Elementary School, which operates under the 4515 schedule and has, I think, two decades now, I think, um, has a brand new building and it's it's not using all the space. And I, I know that the discussions are ongoing about how to deal with that. Maybe you could uh, offer uh, offer up a little information for our listeners on what what's actually happening there. Yeah, I, I certainly can. Um, I guess I would say just briefly that, that Longfellow is an example of a larger challenge we face, which sometimes, I, even though I don't play chess at all, I, I never, but, but so I probably shouldn't use the analogy, but the larger issue is how do we get the chessboard right in Rochester Public Schools so that all the options fit together? And this has big implications for another issue that I know is on the minds of many of our families, which is school start times. We are, our elementary school start times are still 925 in the morning, way too late for working families and way too late for little kids and their energy and learning. But because all of this is interconnected, where the buses run, when the start, where, who can go to school, where, 
um, we need to get the whole system so that it fits. So that's the bigger thing and we're working on that. Maybe we can talk about that uh, next time. Longfellow matters because it has a very unique calendar, which in a lot of ways, I'm not a lot of ways, I'm very strongly supportive of because it frankly breaks us out of the agrarian calendar that we still live with where we would have three months off in the summer so kids could go help farm. And we know that uh, that is not the reality for 98% of American kids. And yet we still take three months off and generally speaking, have to repeat a month of learning loss due to summer, summer slide. The 4515 calendar where kids go to school for 45 days and they have 15 days off is designed to break that. But where it once was quite widely used by my count, including Longfellow and Rochester, we're actually down to only three of those schools in Minnesota. And now Austin just decided to end theirs. And partly it's just hard to have a school on an entirely different calendar when you're running food service and busing, whatever. But for Longfellow, the bigger issue is, does it fit with families, work schedules, childcare? There's a subset of families in Rochester who clearly love that calendar. I've met with them. Longfellow and Amy Adams has a fantastic leader. And so we moved that model into a building twice the size of the previous school. And there was not a waiting list for getting in there. And as I told the Post Bulletin, I have to be honest, this this predates me and it's a head scratcher. But the 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 the, the fact is there were a lot of moving parts happening in the district that at that time. We have a beautiful building and Longfellow along with three other beautiful new buildings. And so we're gonna solve the problem of the fact that we have a calendar that appeals to a smaller subset of families in a building twice the size. So one option we are looking at right now, we have a a working group looking at it, is can that elementary school become a K-8 school using the same calendar? And we need to make sure that we could do it in terms of the facility. It wasn't designed to be a middle school, so there's not the same, you know, um, science lab structure. There's not the same orchestra room structure. But you know, we have one K school uh, in Lincoln that that makes do without some of those things. So that's the first thing that we're looking at, and we're going to look at it hard. I also uh, can't say that that is the only option we can consider. We also have over 100 families who live in what we would call the Longfellow attendance area, who because that calendar for whatever reason doesn't fit their needs, we are busing to Franklin. And so that's not an efficient use of resources either, though I will say Franklin's also an awesome school. So this is one of those sort of complex issues that is on my plate that doesn't have a really simple solution. Um, The first possibility that we're looking at is is the K-8 option. You know, other options could be that we would not be able to continue that calendar, but Longfellow would just become Longfellow, but on a traditional calendar. It also is possible to look at, you know, shifting programs among buildings. I know that's gotten some different discussion. That's not something right now that I would say is a top tier possibility. But I do want people to know we're going to we're going to fill that uh, building uh, over time. We clearly need to work with the Longfellow community to look at some system issues to do it because it's not just a matter of recruiting harder. That was right. Sorry. (laughs) No, well, it it fit perfectly in the time we had left for the program. How's that? All right. That's good. (laughs) Stay tuned on that one. I would hope that by our next conversation, we would be able to at minimum share some um, next steps. I'm confident by the end of the school year, we'll be able to do that for sure. All right. Uh, Another thing to track. 
and another plate for you to keep spinning. <laughs> yes. Well, and luckily, I'm not the only one spinning any of these plates. Uh, and we have great, uh, great folks working on these issues at both the school and the central level levels. All right. Kent Pickell, Rochester Public Schools. You have a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays, Kent. Thank you. You too. And all your listeners as well. Well, thank you very much. And I look forward to our next opportunity to get caught up on things happening with the Rochester Public Schools. I do too. Thanks, Andy, for, all right. for the opportunity. All right. This has been Rochester Today. Everybody, Merry Christmas. Enjoy the holidays. News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Medicare can be complicated. 